Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, for those of you who are just tuning in, uh, or maybe for the first time, I'm Josh um, or Cujo. We've got Dave, we've got Alex, and we've got Dan with us this evening. Um, do have a couple interesting articles uh, to cover this evening. Uh, first off, or, or first up, comes from actually uh, my hometown. Screen sharing up and going here. There we go. And I'll go ahead and read that article. So um, the Phoenix Fire Department um, has added uh, three uh, Skydio X2s um, to the department. Um, and they are currently <clears throat> in training. Uh, there are currently 10 uh, um, trained pilots, and they're looking to train more. Um, but they're using the Skydio X2, uh, which is kind of a stripped-down yet kind of more capable version of the, um, let's see, of the Skydio 2. Um, and it's purpose-built for this industry. Um, the uh, one they're using uh, has a 4K color camera and can be equipped with clear thermal camera which uh, the Phoenix Fire Department has equipped it with the FLIR. Obviously, uh, a super uh, useful tool for uh, the fire department. Um, it can be flown as far as 10 kilometers away, which could prove extremely useful for both search and rescue and brush fire incidents, which is something that the Phoenix Fire Department uh, absolutely does on a routine basis. Um, Phoenix and Arizona in general is a big hiking uh, center, um, and more often than not, there seems to be hikers that get stuck on uh, the side of Piestawa Peak, um, and a lot of times they're pulling out uh, helicopters to go uh, find these folks out in the middle of uh, the desert. So um, giving uh, these tools to the Phoenix Fire Department is a, a great idea, um, and uh, also goes along with you know using drones for good. Um, the FLIR will enable them to identify hot spots in a structure fire um, and where they need to direct or tell their officers to stay away from, uh, depending on the, the danger of the particular uh, structure fire. Uh, so super cool that uh, they're doing this, and they're definitely looking to train more officers um, as time progresses. So uh, pretty cool. Let's see. Next up, we've got the Army's Zephyr drone. 40 um, days straight. Yikes. 40 days, yes. And this is uh, designed by Airbus, I believe. Um, and it took Ooh. off... Uh... Huh? I still do. I like Boeing. <laughs> I'm a Boeing person. All right. Airbus, that's uh, from Europe, right? Not American? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but uh, this is a lightweight UAS. Uh, it's got an 82-foot wingspan, and on June 15th, it took uh, took off from the Yuma Proving Ground down here in Arizona, um, assisted by a handful of people who had to hand-launch it from the runway. <laughs> so like a bunch uh, of people lining up on the wings, holding it so it doesn't fall apart? Like or... Well, I think uh, part of it is, is it doesn't have... From what I can tell, it doesn't exactly have landing gear. Sure. So that's why you use a golf cart like flight path. 
Flight Fest. Yeah, I was about to say this is very reminiscent of some of the takeoffs we saw at Flight Fest. Um, but it has been going continuously for 40 days, and uh, as far as we know, it's still up there. Uh, its previous record was a 26-day record. Um, uh, let's see, the Airbus-made drone is solar-powered, designed to fly in the stratosphere and operate off just a tiny bit of electricity. Uh, in an October 2021 Army release, it noted that the power needs are the same as a single commercial light bulb. Um, Zephyr has flown for long periods of time previously. Uh, it flew for two weeks in 2010 and then carried out its then record-breaking 26-day flight, um, which is actually 25 days, 23 hours, and 57 minutes in 2018, um, and now has been up for over four. I hope oh. they've gotten their BV loss waiver for that thing. <laughs> or somebody standing on the ground for 40 days watching it. That's and nights with the, with the three statue yeah. mile visible lights. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but does it weigh over 55 pounds? Ooh. Good question. That's a, I, get, I don't know. It's big, but thinking, it might not be that heavy. Exactly. Right. That's why. Yeah. That's why it's like. It's like one of those things where it could could be considered a small UAS. So uh, your three statute mile doesn't really do a whole lot for you, Alex, because uh, it 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 flies higher than sixty thousand. I know. <laughs> so I'm a little bit over the four hundred foot limit. Yeah, just maybe a smidge. But uh, so they got a waiver cool. for that one too. Yeah, and I mean the cool thing is is I mean this is I imagine the uh, they call them the ultralights. Uh, model aircraft where they're just uh, like that thin plastic or or whatnot, and they just fly around indoors, rubber band power. Yeah. Uh, very much, I imagine, designed after one of those. So pretty so cool. It's not like they have a TFR in an area for two months for this thing to be flying around, do they? Or uh, well, I mean, anything? it's they could it's... just be using a, a DoD test site. Yeah, it's the army, so they can kind of just do oh, sure. And yeah. It, yeah, it's probably. I mean, the UAA or sorry, the Yuma Proving Grounds is. I mean, it's a yeah, probably restricted airspace. Yeah, restricted. yeah. so they can just stick three thousand and play. So digging in here, so let's pull up some some UAS facility maps here. Go down to Yuma here. You should just oh, yeah. uh, drive over there and see if you can spot it with some binoculars. <laughs> So yeah, there's the USMC air station. Uh, Quite a bit of restricted airspace there. Proving grounds. This might be the proving grounds here. Not even giving me uh, what it is. So yeah, there's there's quite a bit of uh, restricted area up there. So, <clears throat> anywho, just flying in circles. Probably. All right, this is another drones for good uh, kind of situation. This happened actually in Spain. Um, this is a uh, drone lifeguard, or a lifeguard drone, I should say. Uh, I think I saw uh, part of this video. Yeah, it helped save a 14-year-old boy who was at risk mm, of yeah. drowning in, in Spain. Um, while swimming in the water off the coast of Valencia, the boy got caught in a tide off the beach. In a moment captured on video, a drone dropped a life vest into the sea as the boy struggled to stay afloat. Soon after the delivery, a physical lifeguard team arrived to rescue the boy from the water. 
The drone was operated by pilot uh, from General Drones, a company that supplies drones for rescue and emergency services. When we arrived, what we saw was a kid that was in very bad shape with almost no energy to keep floating, so I sent over the life vest. Miguel uh, Pedrero, a drone pilot for the company, told, told Reuters. Because of the heavy waves, it was a complicated maneuver, but we finally managed to give him the vest, and he could float until the lifeguards reached him by jet ski. Um, he was taken to a local hospital and sent home the next day. So, little surprised awesome. that the drone and drone pilot could get there faster than someone could unload a jet ski and get to him. But, well, I mean, if it's on standby and ready to go, I imagine it's a, a pretty quick, uh, you know, spool up and launch. But um, it also depends on how far out the boy was um, and how far out the tide carried him. The but, wave conditions, because then the jet ski has to go through those waves too. Well, so yeah, it and well. it also seems like it says here the outlet reported that more than 30 general drone pilots are working with lifeguards at 22 beaches in Spain. Okay, so, so they, they may might just be there all stand the time. By ready to go. Yeah. yeah. So um, just really, really cool. That, uh, <laughs> that, that just brings one weird thing to my mind about uh, like lipo batteries and keeping them sitting around fully charged all the See, time. Like... <laughs> Oh yeah. So are they just have batteries rotating? Yeah, yeah. they're always uh, they fully charged for a little while and then discharge them if they don't use them. And... But have I mean, batteries and rotate them. I mean, look at it from this perspective. I mean, a, a boy's life saved versus the cost of a yeah. lipo battery, right? So... Yeah, it's no big deal. It's just like they have to use lipos for that. What's that? Yeah, they might not even be using lipos. It could be something yeah, else. Yeah, they could be using yeah. chemistry. Yeah, like lipo four maybe. <laughs> so. Definitely uh, cool, uh, something uh, we love to see uh, with uh, the use of drones for great, great reasons. Um, hey, did covered... they not have the video linked from there showing, like, dropping uh, the... Not on this one. Video but... before. Yeah, give me one second. I'll I definitely it. ran across it just in my random daily yeah. scrolling through uh, Reddit or something. And... Cool video. Yeah, it looked like that, dropping the... And, of course, the only thing I'm thinking is, well, what if he just grabbed it? Wouldn't he pull the drone right down into the into the ocean but i assume they've got quick release or it would disconnect or something all right we'll pause through the ad here <laughs> but it was pretty cool if they can help save people from drowning like that absolutely and you're not putting anybody else's life at risk at all to get out there or anything Quiet. Big props. Yeah, this is the part that I saw. Just the mm -hmm. dangling of the life jacket. Well, what would be neat, though, too, is if the aircraft could also flow really well and so the aircraft could just drop down itself too and land in <laughs> yeah, the water air, yeah. <laughs> what if like the aircraft was also a jet ski 
<laughs> it just lands in the water, then yeah, it can drive them back to shore. Yeah. I wonder if they have waivers to fly over people, but it's Spain, so they probably have a different system. Yeah, I would imagine. Cool. All right, let's see. Go from here. All right, so I covered this a little while back. Um, this, uh, so lawmakers, Biden, and Sports League press for new action on drone threats. Um, Lawmakers and U.S. Sports League on Thursday backed a bid by White House for expanded powers from Congress to detect and disable threatening drones. Congress in 2018 expanded authority, uh, authority of the Justice Department and the Department of Homeland Security to disable or destroy threatening drones, which are formally known as uh, formally known Josh Freeze for you guys too. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Okay. They're formally known as so something. <laughs> Cliffhanger. You did not think he knows it. No, I think he his video looks frozen too. Yeah. So I wonder if his internet yeah. provider yeah, just internet is too. I thought it was me. So yeah, everybody else was quiet, so I thought problems. it was maybe me too. Yeah. And then I saw you guys moving. <laughs> yep, he's definitely still frozen there. Oh, oh and now I lost his that. screen share and he got disconnected. So Discord noticed that he lost his connection. Yeah, he went all the way down. <laughs> Conspiracy theorists are going to say, well, he mentioned man, the administration there. <laughs> man, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> took, took his internet out just like that. Well, while we're waiting for Dave to come back, uh, or not Dave, gosh, while we're waiting for Josh to come back, Dave's here. Dave's fine. Maybe Dave has something that we could talk about. You have any yeah, just, news uh, for us today? Yeah, today uh, in the news is um, that the Senate passed a semiconductor, and uh, this has been uh, in the uh, both houses of Congress uh, for over a year. It, it did start as a CHIPS bill about a year ago. It's uh, now passed the Senate. And they're in conference, and they're anticipating a sign by the president, a signature by the president, hopefully by the end of this week. This is uh, near and dear to my heart because this has to uh, do with bringing uh, onshoring manufacturing of semiconductors. So that's a good thing. And, Do you know if uh, uh, Bernie's amendment uh, added uh, that? The EU, uh, China, Taiwan, and Korea all subsidize their semiconductor manufacturers. Uh, so uh, very positive for us. Um, Dave, did you hear Meet's question Alex, there? Are you, uh, you still there or did I freeze? <laughs> I don't think Dave can hear us. Oh, no, I don't think he can either. <laughs> oh, no. Can you hear us, Dave? We're all falling apart. What's happening? I'm, I'm just curious about the amendment because. Did you hit mute on your mic again? There. 
that was going to make it so the chip manufacturer had to, use it to build manufacturing and not use it for stock buybacks. Yeah, I I heard something about that too, but I don't know what how it ended up. Yeah, I don't know either. I was hoping that Dave might. What was your question, Meet? I'm sorry. So Dave was the, talking uh, about the semiconductor stuff that's going on with uh, the oh the chip spill. Yeah, the chip spill, and then I think Meet, you can explain your question further. Yeah, the Bernie wanted uh, the bill to contain some language that would make it so the chip manufacturers had to actually build out manufacturing in the U.S. and not just use the funding to, for stock buybacks and stuff like that. Oh, gotcha. I wasn't sure if that actually made it into the language of the final bill or not. I was curious. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. Um, <clears throat> what do you mean, yeah, actually no... force like somebody getting some stimulus money to spend it on what they're supposed to spend it on? Yeah, that would be know. crazy. <laughs> It's always a good time to try new things. It's always one of us popping in and out. <laughs> yeah, you can't get four people to have technology all work at the same time. That that's I don't just... even know what happened to mine. It just dropped out. Yeah, really on our end, you just ghosted. It was just poof, you were gone. I know. I was like it... in the middle of it. It was just like, nope. <laughs> you were saying something like formally known as, and then <laughs> just formally left known us as hanging. Josh. <laughs> <laughs> and you were still here. You were just frozen. Like you just yeah. And then it took Discord a while to kick you out. We were all sitting here quiet and still, and we thought we all froze. <laughs> yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, technical issues. Are you back with us, Dave? Yes. Hey, hey and he, he can even there hear us go. now. <laughs> Wait, is it the speakers or is it the actual ears themselves? Was the issue? No. Old age. No. <laughs> wow. Yep. All right. Yeah, so, uh, Dave, you might be a little better uh, rehearse on on this one. Um, Storm and thirteen asks, "What are your thoughts on the right of way rules proposed in the BV loss being in PRM?" And he is not on the voice chat. No, he's not. He's probably watching on YouTube. He yeah. might be, yeah. So uh, I'm, I, I've cleverly uh, eliminated my screen of uh, uh, of the chat. Could you read that one again? Yeah, that's fine. Um, what are your thoughts on the right away rules proposed in the uh, BB loss pending NPRM? Okay. Well, it's not really a I BB loss pending NPRM, but maybe they're talking about the BB, BB loss, loss arc arc report. Yeah, the arc. There's a couple places that were calling it NPRM, though. Um, I saw yeah. a couple people advertising it as NPRM and a comment saying, no, don't do the right away thing from a couple of aviation side of things. Uh, so the to me, uh, yeah, Alex is absolutely right, is that it's um, we're probably two to three years away from a, a notice to public rulemaking. Um, and then another year or so, uh, it maybe we'll get some short-term uh, changes in BV loss, uh, which certainly were also part of the recommendations. That could happen uh, as as soon as a, a year from now. With respect to right away, um, to me, some of the biggest uh, breakthroughs were there was there's a start a start of sharing responsibility, and mm -hmm. so. The notion of uh, it's it's not 100% uh, the UAS responsibility to detect and avoid. 
is something that we've pushed very hard on. Um, in addition, uh, the reason I was hesitating is we wrote a 100-page uh, chapter submission that got uh, deleted, um, uh, much to our chagrin in as much as it was um, committed no fewer than five times uh, by the leaders that uh, it would be uh, published uh, unabridged, and then it was uh, left out. And so there was a, a great deal of discussion in the section that we uh, that was left out on right of way, and uh, we spent well, it was uh, six people in eight meetings uh, that many, and at least meet each meeting at least an hour long. So um, uh, that's how many hours we spent discussing right of way. So some of this got in to uh, uh, to the report, and a lot did not. Uh, so there is. Uh, uh, there's right away that has that did get in with respect to uh, aided um, or uh, extended BV loss, and so the uh, the notion that let's keep uh, uh, just an extension of Part 107 and uh, with the existing remote ID uh, UAS, and that would be a fine uh, set of training as well as. Uh, um, aircraft uh, equipment to satisfy a near-in uh, beyond visual line of sight to satisfy things like um, I just went behind a tree I'm inspecting underneath a, a bridge that's 20 feet away from me um, so I think that a lot of the recommendations are great uh, and they are varied uh, welcome any uh, uh, any specific questions I'm, I'm stumbling a bit because this is a, you know it's an important point and it's also uh, very, it was uh, covered extensively uh, in our work on um, uh, autonomous flight rules in that subgroup, in subgroup 2.5. So one of the things that uh, I seem to remember being a, a point of uh, discussion um, within the final report was uh, kind of shielded operations and right away within shielded operations, right? So... If you were within, and I'm just referencing Volatronics, and he kind of reminded me, um, within 100 feet of a structure, and I don't think it's 500 feet high. I think they limited that uh, for the final report. Yeah, might have been. Correct. Might have been 500. Might be right. Might have been the 400 plus 100 above. Sounds like a yeah. good good reading on the, and it is 100 feet lateral. Yeah. Uh, we pressed for 400 feet lateral to be consistent with the New Zealand shielded operations. Uh, that was. Uh, opposed uh, roundly uh, by the helicopter uh, community. They, uh, they felt that 400 uh, feet uh, was an issue and that they absolutely they have uh, um, rescue, uh, public safe and public safety helicopters flying inside uh, 400 feet, uh, but not uh, 100 feet uh, around shielded operations. So um, certainly the uh, we had put um, shielded operations into an earlier uh, drone advisory committee, now AAAC uh, tasking group that got uh, agreed to and had some assure funding by the FAA. And then shielded operations became, as, uh, as you've seen, uh, a significant component of the BB loss arc. And so we were very happy to see that uh, as uh, incorporated in the final recommendations. So I don't know if you guys have been watching the BV loss listening sessions that the FAA has been doing. There was another one yesterday, I think, 
Um, yeah, it'll work. I need to catch up on it. And, and predictably, a lot of the complaints are around uh, manned aircraft giving right of way to unmanned aircraft in those situations. Yeah, and I mean, it, it needs to come to almost a shared responsibility kind of situation. And, you know, I don't have, I mean, I've always yielded right away, you know, in any situation, whether I was, you know, above the trees or below the trees, it's always safer for, you know, from my perspective to just drop it. And, um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, situations happen. So, yeah. And then also the, the complaining about requiring ADSB in all aircraft that are flying in those situations as well. And the one from yesterday, they were talking a lot about, um, I think it's not actually legal for them to do so in some cases, like uh, hot air balloons. I, I don't know the rules. It's just one of the people that was representing the hot air balloon pilots was saying that they are not allowed to use ADSB because they're not a powered aircraft. Uh, and so it's against the ADSB rules to have a device like that and announce themselves. So the FAA well, the clearly ADSB. will have a lot of things to think about there. Yeah. You know, there's room with other groups too. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. So like the, um, is it the ultralights or the paragliders? Uh, yeah, paragliders. Um, you know, same situation there. Um, who knows? I mean, they may, you know, fall into something similar like UAS and have well, some semblance of remote ID. So, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the uh, yielding right away to for um, man aircraft that do not have? It's for man aircraft that don't have ADSB, exactly and right. for drones that have remote ID though, because if you don't oh. have remote ID, you always have to yield right away. Correct? Right. Yeah. You're. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so basically another way to look at it is drones are sending out their position and location and other aircraft that aren't sending it out have to yield the right away generally that's correct within the that's shielded area how i understand it at least that's, yeah. yep there's there's also currently no requirement for aircraft to have a remote id detection systems mm -hmm. installed so it was talked about though it was and... yeah the advanced aviation advisory and wow. yeah and the and the, yeah, and the ac and that's contained i think in tg 11 10. which was punted 10 oh, yeah. 11 what uh, uh one of the one of those two it was punt it was punted over to the drone safety team and the drone safety team has uh declined to work on this from the faa so we're in a do loop between the uh uh, aviation advanced aviation advisory committee and the drone safety team that's a good way for somebody yeah. to get something not worked on that they don't want worked on right exactly. no you do it right. no exactly. no you do it we're not going to do it and then no. it just dies outside of our scope that's right oh it's not my remit sorry <laughs> all right so let me pick back up uh hopefully we answered everybody's questions on that uh let me pick back up where i so rudely got kicked off um, I was about to question the CIA here in a second, so maybe <laughs> that's why they kicked me off. So we'll do a repeat and see what happens here. So the Biden administration wants to extend drone detection and destruction powers to agencies like the CIA and State Department to protect you 
U.S. facilities as officials say drones are costing millions of dollars in delays at U.S. airports. So, correct me if I'm wrong. It is not within the CIA's charter to operate on uh, native soil, on, on U.S. soil. I, I am correct in that, yes? Yeah, so that's a little odd. Just saying. But they've, but they've got a That'd lot. That'd be Homeland of, Security, though. Yeah, I was going to say, they reach over to Homeland Security, yeah. and that's where most of the yeah. communication uh, from most of the security agencies to the FAA comes from. Right. How would you like to but, have your like title be? Uh, hey, I'm I work with Homeland Security and I'm the drone destruction person. <laughs> I drone, go out and de drone destructor. I think they would call it uh, the Homeland Security counter UAS. Uh, counter UAS liaison. Yeah, I don't know. The the drone destroyer would be better. Quad cop. Yeah, maybe maybe we just Quad cop. you know we'll name that person Megatron. And... <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, Senator Gary Peters, a Democrat who chairs the Homeland Security Committee, said at a hearing on Thursday, he plans to release proposed legislation in the coming weeks to extend existing authority and strengthen counter UAS authorities to better uh, tackle this threat. On Thursday, the NFL, uh, Major League Bas uh, Baseball, NCAA and NASCAR sent a joint letter to Congress backing the Biden administration proposal, saying expansion of drone authority will play an important role and helping to ensure the safety of major sporting events, including the safety of billions of American fans who attend these events each year. Deputy Assistant Attorney General Brad Wegman told the Senate on Thursday that outdoor mass gatherings like open-air sports stadiums are particularly vulnerable to drone attacks. Um, is it an attack or is it an intrusion that generally happens? Well, trying I mean, to watch the game without having to get in. <laughs> That's well, more likely depends. what has happened, but they're imagining scenarios where it's actually exactly. going to do something harmful. Right. Uh, mass gatherings, you know, have always been uh, an opportunity for people who want to I mean, look at places like the Boston uh, Marathon and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they're imagining, um, like, you take one of those DJI crop dusters and you fly it over filled with some sort of chemicals, and who knows what will happen. Uh, the White House wants to extend powers to detect and destroy or disable threatening drones to the TSA uh, for airports and the U.S. Marshal Service for prisoner transports. DHS official Samantha Vinograd said TSA since 2021 has reported nearly 2,000 drone sightings near U.S. airports, including incursions at major airports nearly every day. She added that since 2019, drone incidents have caused U.S. airports to fully halt operations three times, and in 2021, over 30 partial suspensions of operation, resulting in millions of dollars of economic damage. I don't feel uh, like we've heard of that many of them. But... You know, I sure well, haven't. Reading between the lines, there's also something positive here. I always try to find the little pony in the manure. <laughs> and... Uh... <laughs> The positive on this one is I'll bet there were uh, attorneys looking at this and saying, let's, we need to keep this within federal uh, uh, safe, uh, pub or public safety personnel. That's what they've done. So it's marshals, it's TSA, federal agents. And that to me, from a perspective of uh, the laws that, or the, yeah, the bills that we've seen um, put forward by um, uh, Senator Lee from Utah, uh, where he'd rather see a state's rights uh, uh, view. Uh, this goes, this supports the current FAA 
preemption uh, view, which certainly uh, uh, we uh, support uh, in that it would be far easier to work with a single government and remote ID as opposed to 50 governments who are trying to do things like uh, set up boundaries and uh, taxes and fees uh, for landing, etc. So I, that's the positive that I see. In well, that this next paragraph talks about extending it to the authority to uh, current state and local law enforcement officials. Malo, 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 malo. You were one paragraph yeah. too early there, go, Dave. Yeah, go back. Go back well, delete everything you I wanna, said. If you want a different thing to look at, the 2,000 drone sightings are not confirmed drone sightings right. because anyone can report a drone sighting. Most of the time, it's probably a plastic bag, and that's what it generally has usually been because it's also been found out that you can't tell if it's really a drone if you're a pilot. Uh, it's very difficult to actually tell if it's a drone or not. And even on the ground, depending at the height where it would be interfering, it's also hard to tell. So yeah. well, we all and, know how hard it is to track a drone with your eyes. Like, it's nearly <laughs> yeah. Hard. Yeah. I mean, so depending on the 2000 drone sightings is higher than that's a overestimated it's, number than oh underestimated. And still none of them have taken an airplane out. Get... Well, there's been a couple incidents where there there's has been, been strikes, collisions. But, yeah. But no, well, yeah, not... it hasn't caused any crashes. Correct. Or fatalities. Yeah. J yeah. Jay Merkel uses a number of six over the last five years. And these are. I believe there were no seven or, I thought there were eight. Seven eight. or eight. Eight confirmed so like, eight. collisions. Yeah. And then there are about six others that are unconfirmed but probable. So, I mean, and here's the thing, and this is something we've we've been combating for a long time is is this overestimation, right? So, um, a lot of times, I mean, number one, news article sensationalism, big numbers make it look scary, you know, that kind of stuff. It, it it's what generates clicks. So, um, but yeah, it, it's definitely you also use small numbers to make the government look stupid. <laughs> they're like, so, like they're trying to do this for 130 incidents right and, and so i mean it's just it's definitely hundreds of thousands of you could go either way flights. with it right so millions of flights but 130 incidents are causing this issue right so and, and keep in mind a lot of safety security measures are are not what has happened but the probability of what could How so many birds hit planes a lot. You know, more than that, probably. Yeah, definitely more so. Um, so, let's so, see. so this is uh, saying that this is something that they want to do, but there's not been anything released yet, right? Yeah. So, and and to Volatronics' uh, point, there's a good reason why bad guys don't use drones against airplanes. It's really difficult, and uh, this is the. It's a funny you make that point, and I think we talked about this last time, but. At Flight Fest, there would be anywhere from 20 to 120 planes in the air all at once with the sole purpose of taking each other out. It's combat. And the amount of time spent where nothing happened, where no plane hit another plane, was insane. Uh, so much so that it's it, it's much to Volatronic's point here is that it's really hard. So... Um, 
And he comes back with, there have been about 227,000 wildlife strikes with civil yep. aircraft in the USA between 1990 and 2019. So that's a lot. That's a lot compared to eight drone strikes, right? So at any rate, uh, we'll be likely seeing some type of legislation in the near future. Um, to be honest, I, I was fine with the limited uh, authority that... Um, was present for just uh fbi and uh uh department of homeland security uh department of homeland security that has existed for uh since 2008 uh or sorry 2018 let me get my years right but um now they they seem to be expanding um let's see measuring growth milestones at aloft technologies so um aloft uh uh is obviously uh, a lance uh provider and uh, they've come out with some numbers uh let's see aloft recorded half a million lance authorizations uh since the inception of lance uh, including a record June where total authorizations grew 58% year-over-year and commercial airspace authorizations grew 102% year-over-year. Uh, on the Before You Fly app, record usage and adoption resulted in crossing 200, or sorry, 20 million airspace searches all time. In addition, the Loft UTM data network surpassed 1 million monthly airspace events in June while seeing 300% quarter-over-quarter commercial revenue growth, marking the largest expansion of the platform in company history. Um, let's Does see. it mention how many users they, they have? Because I would be see. curious to see if that compares to what the FA says are registered pilots. So I actually, I th it might be in one of these other articles I've got. Uh, they're estimating 800,000 current registered UAS. Yeah pilots um from the for recreational because that's uh, just a recreational number i believe no that's all that's all registered that is the 20 the 2019 um faa administrators back book uh, had 1.2 million recreational and approximately 800,000 um part 107 they have subsequently quietly tried to i didn't think it was eight hundred thousand for 107 that seems too high came up, came up to two million like total almost one percent or something no like 0.3 percent of the population with 107 let's see it doesn't have anything in this particular article just be interesting to see exactly how big of a group we actually are Absolutely. well yeah, and I would I would posit that a lot of there 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 may be a lot, and I I'm going to speculate. There may be a lot of drone pilots who didn't re up their registration after the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of that revolving around regulations uh, relating to remote ID. So, um, yeah, and you can use aloft to get Lance authorization and without having any register you, know, like you don't have to put in your registration information or anything no and keep in mind that's also aloft is one of several different lands providers yep yeah and we should mention that uh we like aloft and this is uh, oh, absolutely. If, we're, if we are asked uh, so what 
lance provider would you recommend certainly i always say aloft uh, what i they, use uh, they are it uh, aloft is free for recreational users and, and as a commercial. company they are they are check that um uh, alex what you can check do some data. things yeah free for like use... with part 107 but you you have to pay use... for advanced features i get my lance authorization I use my Lance authorizations for commercial flights all the time. Okay. And uh, so the uh, the people who work at and run Aloft uh, support recreational, and uh, we certainly support them. Yeah. All right. So new research. Uh, this will rub Dave a little bit the wrong way. New research recommends streamlining regulations to enable drone operations. Yes. Excuse me. New research from George Mason University's uh, Mercatus Center indicates the need for states to create and manage drone routes in order to enable growth of the commercial drone industry in the U.S. The research paper, authored by senior research fellow Brent Skorup, also features a ranking system that compares the drone readiness of each state. Oklahoma ranks as the most prepared for commercial drone services, followed by North Dakota, Arkansas, Arizona, and Minnesota. Um, three states tied for last place as the least prepared to enable urban air mobility in Nebraska, Rhode Island, and Mississippi. Uh, Scorp's rating of states for commercial drone services includes six factors, airspace lease law, avigation easement law task force or program office, law vesting landowners with air rights, and sandbox availability and jobs estimates. Um, the drone industry needs to work with local regulators and landowners in a way that the conventional aviation industry hasn't had to. Scorp explained in an interview with Avionics International. While noise concerns have existed for a long time with conventional aircraft, these concerns are only an issue for residents living next to an airport or heliport. In contrast, unmanned aircraft systems fly at low altitudes and could be targeted by trespassing or nuisance lawsuits. Um, Scorp had the idea that enabling drones to fly above public roadways would eliminate most of these issues. Roadways are already dedicated for transportation. They're fairly noisy and handle a lot of logistics. Establishing drone corridors above public roadways at low altitudes is a fairly simple and elegant way to open up millions of miles of these corridors. I just have thoughts of of uh, something going wrong and a drone falling on a car in the middle of the highway. <laughs> or all the drivers distracted looking up at the drones. Right. <laughs> and there's also all and the FAA already has routes across the skies for normal aviation. Yeah. But I mean, keep in mind low altitude versus yeah. full altitude. So um let's see. Um Scorp's research includes the suggestion that establishing many more designated places for testing new drone technologies would allow companies to more effectively demonstrate their products to regulators and investors. These places referred to as sandboxes could be underused airports or rural airspace. It's important in this industry to show proof of concept and to have something to show investors and regulators, not just business clients. Uh, even though drone technology is fairly advanced, it's difficult for companies to make a business case while depending on one one one-off waivers from the FAA. There are a lot of pilot programs in the U.S. for drones, such as ZipLines. Um, ZipLine recently received its Part 135 Air Carrier Certificate from the FAA and has been performing drone flights in Arkansas, 
under the FAA's Part 107 rule since last year. Um, I would I would go so far as to say is the FAA needs to completely revamp its waiver process, one hundred percent, because they're still on a. Alex, how it's what ninety day? Yeah, that's insane. It needs to be like forty eight hours. Like, hmm. um, that wasn't another point that people brought up quite a few times in the BV loss listening sessions with the FAA's. How like how hard it is to get the waivers currently for BV loss and how it should be so much better and that it needs to be better be even before they come up with more BV loss um, rules because it's going to take them a long time to get there and they need something done much faster. How? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you Especially say... Amazon and how much, how, how hard of a time these huge companies are getting their foot in the door of this kind of stuff. Like it's just super Well, they also, drone delivery also is under part 135 air carrier operation so you're basically making a whole airline at that point mm -hmm. and it was really a lot of complaints coming from people like uh search and rescue and fire departments and emergency yeah. services they have tactical bb loss which where they, is a much faster method they're saying they they have some bb loss waivers but not enough of them like they've been yeah. doing lots of operations, but there's a lot of operations they're not allowed to do because they don't have a waiver for this or this group doesn't have one and things like that. Or they gave an example, I think, where they were the the police or somebody um, had a drone in the air. They were following a suspect who had shot somebody, and then they got to the end of their line of sight and had to stop and let him go because the they didn't have a BB loss waiver to f keep following him. Well, in that case, they should have been able to get a. Um a tactical bv loss waiver because that does exist and right. it's a phone call that you do it's a lot fat it's supposed to be one of those where you set it up with your department and then you can make a phone call to activate it for a period of time and then you can and then it deactivate then when you're done with the flight you call them back let them know that you're done and that kind of stuff okay and Submit some sort of report, I believe. I don't remember all the details, but from my understanding of the tactical BV loss waivers for first responders and such, that is an option for them that they just might not have known about. Sure. Well, I think part of it is, and and this is this is my thing is in the moments it takes to make a phone call, yes. I mean, a life a could be lost. So yeah. I mean, it needs to be a more efficient process if it's a. You know, I and you know, I don't know. I I'm I'm two ways with law enforcement utilizing drones. I mean, in some circumstances, I see the benefit, and others, I see a breach of privacy. Right. So, but at the same time, mm -hmm. they're almost. I almost feel like in 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 circumstances where somebody's life could be in danger, it's a yeah. uh, ask for forgiveness later kind of situation. Yeah. Um, but. I think all around the waiver process it needs to be revamped. I think the FAA is pseudo combative uh, with approving waivers and, and almost infinitely unhelpful. Um, and to be able to kind of formulate a waiver in the correct way that they need to see fit is a laborious process that could take a year or two. I mean, if they're waiting 90 days to approve your waivers, right? So mm -hmm. um, that gives you an opportunity to submit four separate waivers a year. That's insane to try and get it right. Um, so uh, that's a hill I'm going to die on with the waiver process. 
Um, it's stupid and it needs to be fixed. But uh, anyway, um, that that's my take on it. So, with this list, I'm surprised Pennsylvania is so low. I would have expected Pennsylvania to be higher with some of the stuff that I've been seeing going on in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I was confused about Michigan too because we have preemption. Like, the oh, here that yeah, so and we have a special thing set up with Canada yeah. where we're testing drone deliveries and crap. So I'm I'm guessing that this is probably older. It might be. I'm not. But he I mean, just yeah. I'm done with it now. But like his research and stuff is probably done a couple of years ago or something. It could be. Because Arizona, yeah, I mean, definitely has preemption. And uh, um, but uh, yeah, it's. it's I was with New Jersey a little bit. That's a little higher than I thought it would have been. Yeah. I would have yeah. expected New Jersey to be a little lower. Um, so let's see um in spite of the challenges we'll wrap this up uh, in spite of the challenges that drone companies and regulators are facing scort believes that the regulatory framework for drone operations in the u.s compares favorably to those in other countries he says uh from what i can tell most countries and national regulators are looking to the u.s for leadership and follow closely to what happens here uh david is shaking his head emphatically <laughs> yeah yeah no why you just did, like uh, it right why did Google Wing go to Australia to test their product? Because right. the FAA was so difficult. Why is the FAA flying people over to Europe to read the uh, soon-to-be-in-place uh, 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 remote ID uh, uh, regulations? Yeah, ICAO is far ahead, uh, and uh, Australia and New Zealand are ahead of the United States. So, yeah. No, nobody's looking at the uh, FAA for leadership. Yeah, we're never well, going to be first in anything as long as we have these rules that are so restrictive. All right. And Let's just uh, need to get rid of the rules for a time period until they can come up with proper rules. <laughs> be interesting. <laughs> Back to the Wild West, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's very the the pace. I, I think one of the things is is. I'm constantly, and I think we as a group are constantly frustrated with the pace of things coming from the FAA. Um, this is something, when it comes to a technology as useful, as pervasive, um, as uh, UAS and drones and whatever you want to call them, uh, the usefulness of, of these units, whether it's from a STEM uh, point or from a firefighting point or from an agriculture point these are the things that can reshape the way that america does things in a positive way and as well as ease burden on agencies that rely on things like helicopters and planes to do uh, things that uas can easily take over and the fact that we move at a snail's pace to to get this squared away is insane well, um, it's a it's even worse than that. It's like moving really, really slow and very quietly, and then all of a sudden a whole bunch of stuff, and then silence and moving not at all again, and then all of a sudden a bunch more releases. It's yeah, so weird. And honestly, at this point, I wouldn't expect next. I would expect next to nothing to come out of the FAA until the next authorization reauthorization talks. Um, I don't. I don't see. <sighs> I don't. I honestly you don't see CBOs don't see coming any. soon. You don't see no. Frias coming soon. You don't see. Well, you can't have Frias without CBOs. So mm -hmm. I, I have a, I have a, a theory that they're just going to try and ditch the CBOs. So, that, I mean, that's 
that's weird to me. Well, but... you can have FRIAs with schools. Right, with schools but, and, and research institutes. But, I mean, here's the thing is, is yeah. how, how do we apply for that? And, and so just tossing that out there. I, I, I imagine we're at a standstill until the next reality. I might be wrong. Or all of a sudden they'll surprise us all with a whole bunch of new rules one day. Right, right. Yeah, well, so. Certainly the FAA is undergoing organizational change. December 29th, correct? <laughs> and it would be um, uh, uh, wise for uh, new people in the organization to demonstrate something prior to the 2023 reauthorization. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I, I hear you, Josh. I'm I'm with you. I'm nervous about that, and maybe there's a shot at uh, a couple of things uh, coming along, having to do certainly uh, uh, with uh, recreational uh, as it relates to STEM. Yeah, for sure. All right. So last but not least, um, is uh, a let's see was this an NPRM, Alex? No. I think it was a final thing, yeah, but right. it was just getting. But there's still like a, the 30 day comment period afterwards, right? Like how, it, that, but that's just standard. So this is this is a, a basically a nothing burger. Um, the FAA is changing the way that it's going to uh, essentially accept uh, inquiries um, through the UAS Support Center. Um, to a form uh, which they will collect uh, specific information, their, your email, phone number, zip code, uh, type of flyer, whether you're recreational, commercial, so on and so forth, um, and the subject of the inquiry. This information will allow the UAS Support Center analysts more information to efficiently answer the respondent's specific question. Uh, the respondent's public form process starts with submitting an inquiry by using the public web form shared email box or by calling the UAS support center analyst once the public user submits an inquiry they will receive an automated system email receipt that includes a reference number the created date um, a tell us about yourself and their inquiry question um, so essentially uh, it's just a different way of uh, for for people, the general public, to submit inquiries to the UAS. System. And I looked, I looked for, but could not find what's the um, the no, service le one. service level of agreement on committed turnaround time. And I no, there's might, no commitment might, there. <laughs> yeah, might be might be an you know they might have internal metrics, but yeah, I didn't see anything that there is a commitment to the public to respond in in number of days. Yeah, the only the only time requirement in here is that. Uh, the estimated burden per response is two minutes. Um, but, you know, is that two minutes uh, within 48 hours or two minutes within 90 days? So, no no commitment. So with the UAS Help Center, I almost always call them if I have to reach out to them because I, don't, cause I can just get my answer right away, generally. Or they can just send me something. Sometimes they'll have to email me later, depending on the complexity of the question. But calling my phone is just much easier yeah for sure so um yeah just a different way of doing things there's not uh, a whole lot uh here so uh that's all i have uh alex i know you've got some stuff going on do you want to talk about what you got going on sure so tomorrow at 2 p.m i will be 
on the FAA's Flying for Fun is Trust a Must panel talking about the recreational UAS safety test. And so I'll be on there with Greg from Pilot Institute and Desi from Women and Drones. And so we'll be talking. Oh, and then also Kevin Morris from the FAA will be on there and we'll be answering questions about trust. Um, I've put in a few questions that I've gathered from different community members so that we have some of those questions to answer. We'll talk a little bit about FPV and how that relates to trust. And then a couple of other questions behind just some of the background information behind trust. Um, so tune in tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern time at the FAA YouTube channel. And it sh and you should be able to listen in on that. As part of the background, are you going to throw Dave under the bus for coming up with the, the, the acronym or having a hand in the acronym? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I thought this was going to be called Rust or something, but then I heard someone call it Trust. That's funny. Right? Yep. You can't call it The Trust because that's double buzz, yeah. right? That's right. Like or you can't say the trust test. The trust test. Yeah. All right, Dave. Uh, anything going on uh, from a AAC or uh, regulatory uh, a, point of view? Uh, there's a restart on uh, tasking group 13. You recall with tasking yep. group 13, we had the uh, uh, an interim report back uh, in was it June 30, Alex, and uh, yes. where. Um, they're fixing to uh, to restart it. Uh, it should be interesting. Um, my subgroup uh, created a narrative, and then the uh, the three leaders have uh, rewritten it and provided a new a new write up and uh, have a, a two week turnaround uh, to edit and then submit the document. So we'll see how that goes. Um, the on the uh, drone safety team we're moving forward on the uas asrs uh, lots of people are very interested and supportive and so we have uh, uh, agreed to tenants so we're we're now not shouting at each other which is a good thing and uh hopefully moving forward slowly on that uh, and our colleagues in flight test are out at uh Oshkosh, Wisconsin, at the EAA Air Venture. So uh, I think anyone associated with aviation is like, oh, love to go there. Mm -hmm. And so yep. it sounds like That's a great a event. Yeah, <laughs> definitely on my bucket list. I know, Alex, I better get to it quickly. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was. Uh... He is self. <laughs> he is self-reporting <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so that, so it's uh, uh, the uh, the photos and videos coming back from Wisconsin uh, look great. It looks like uh, we're making yeah. uh, good connections uh, there, and that's uh, uh, the flight tests uh, working under the heading of FDCA as well. So we uh, we expect some uh, follow-up actions uh, from there. And that's all I had. Cool. Dan, you got anything for us this evening? Not really. We already kind of touched on it. I wanted to just bring up again that the FAA was having their Beyond, via, Beyond Visual Line of Sight ARC listening sessions, and they streamed two of them now on YouTube. And if you kind of want to get a, 
idea of what the industry and the different people, the stakeholders of Beyond Visual Line of Sight think of what the ARC's recommendation was, you should check out those videos. Yeah, there's there's a lot of praise for it from you know the drone side, um, and then there is a lot of concern from the manned aircraft side, especially about giving way and about uh, having ADS-B out and pretty much all the things that you would expect they would have concerns about. All right, I will have to catch up on that myself. I will probably watch this. Yeah, watch it on YouTube, play it at one and a half times speed or so, and <laughs> get it yep. done a little bit quicker. <laughs> or two, two times if you're a New Yorker. Yeah. <laughs> kick it up all right so with that guys uh thank you for joining appreciate uh the interaction uh we love uh hearing your questions your responses uh um and uh just your general feedback it, it's excellent so appreciate it uh guys and we will see you in another two weeks I'm trying to think of anything important <laughs> see you in two weeks i uh, appreciate it guys bye